news. You know, they write about it and claim that there's more suicides right after Christmas holiday than any other time. Because I suppose what they were really wanting never did materialize. Don't you suppose that's what it is? You get worked up with expectations and seek for fulfillment. Naturally, if we're not careful, we look for it in the wrong places. And Christmas again would have come and gone, and we would have missed what we really wanted inside, a sense of fulfillment. Well, there's no day or no one can bring you a sense of fulfillment but Jesus. And the quicker we realize that, and begin to seek him for all things, the better off we're going to be. <clears throat> Wednesday before last, I believe it was, we entered in on to a subject concerning the cults and why people, especially those who had an experience with God, and especially those who had received the Holy Ghost, were so easily persuaded into these cults such as the Jim Jones and the Moonies and many others that we could name. And uh, they were very, very easily, we noticed in reading uh, the book concerning Jim Jones and searching out quite a bit of the history on that, we noticed that a large percentage of those who followed him had at one time had an experience with God. And whenever I say an experience with God, I'm talking about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And the question we asked was why with somebody with the life of Christ so real in their life and knowing the experience that they knew, would they be so easily persuaded and brought under contact, so to speak, or under the influence of these things that is fast moving into the world? Now, Jim Jones is only one of many that are rising up and making their power known. And most of us, of course, sat back and kind of with sneers on our faces and sat back in, in kind of a self-smug attitude as if we would never at any time be deluded in this. And I'm persuaded as long as we're aware of the truth and the fullness of God's plan, and as long as we look for the end uh, and the beginning and look for it in the right place, I'm persuaded that we never will be deluded by these things. And in searching them out so much, most of the delusion simply comes because after man expounds the Word of God, after he gets men and women into the church, after he gets them settled down and lets them even feel the presence of the Holy Ghost, he continues to minister something that they have already received and turns their attention very little to where man is going. I don't know whether you realize it or not, but uh, you're going to die sometime unless Jesus happens to come, and then you're going to have to be in a position to make a change. Now, I doubt seriously, if I look over the congregation, and most of them are young, I doubt seriously that uh, you young people have given much thought to dying. I know that it's a subject that we don't like to talk about, and it's something we believe, really, in spite of all the evidence to the contrary, it's something we believe that only happens to the aged. But we have evidence to the contrary that young men and women are going out into eternity to meet their God, oft times unprepared. 
And the world is in confusion, and Christians, for the most part, are in confusion simply because nothing has ever been told them in a sense as to what is going to happen after they die or really what is going to happen when Jesus comes. I've said it often, the only thing that I heard for a long time was just you're going to go to heaven. Heaven, of course, was defined as a place up in the atmosphere someplace where you uh, maybe got some wings after a while and you flew around there a little bit with angelic beings or if that uh, wasn't the case, of course, they announced real proudly that you were going to have a mansion up there. Our mansions going to take you years to walk through the mansions, and there would be streets of gold and all of these things, and all of it's going to be up there. And it was a kind of eerie, eerie mystical type of thing that even I, after I come to know God, was not particularly interested in going to. Now, that may sound strange to you, but... When I come to God, I didn't come to him because I wanted to go to heaven. I come to him because I didn't want to go to hell. Hell had been portrayed as to the reality that I really believe it is, but heaven had been left mystical in, in a sense, uh, in, in shadowy figures until even with the mind at the best I could get in the influence of the Spirit, not knowing anything about it, it, it became such a thing that I, I couldn't really desire to have it. And because of this all my life, I have desired to try to find out really what does God have in store for us? What are we going to do? A lot of young people, as they look into this world, their life is just ahead of them. Many of them haven't gotten married yet. They haven't got families. The very important junction of their life or juncture of their life is awaiting them, and, and they're, they're a little... Uh, uh, prone to say they want Jesus to come because uh, their life seems to be going pretty smooth and they would like to get married like anyone else and they'd like to know how it feels to have a family. And so consequently they're wondering, if Jesus comes, what about me? Am I just going to stay like I am all the time, uh, just a child? And uh, then others are wondering, am I just going to be uh, like I am? In other words, when we enter into heaven... Everybody's going to know everybody else, but is there going to be any change? What about in, in our lives? And yet if we look at the Bible, we'll find that it is so filled with the thing that we need to look at, so filled with the restoration of the Garden of Eden, and all life goes on similarly the same as it does here, with the exception of one thing is missing, and that's sin in a world. Men, according to the Bible, will marry. According to the Bible, there'll be children born into that kingdom. According to the Bible, they'll be working there and on and on. And we'll cover all of this, I suppose, before we finish. But what I'm trying to get you to see is inside of man, not placed there by human nature, but placed there at the creation when God created him, was a desire and a longing that he never forgets to find a place in this world where he can have peace and serenity and rest and peace out away from the sin of the world. Now, most cults will promise you this, and Jim Jones promised that to almost a thousand people, and they went over there in that little town, in that little country, and 
tried to hew out a paradise in the wilderness. Of course, that was wrong. What they were crying for inside was right. And then flesh took over. But what's in there, that loneliness, that desperation, that desire to live right here and see the beauty of Almighty God and see the world go on when there's no death, no tears, no crying, no despair, and no loneliness. And all of those things are good because it was placed in there by God. It was his intention from the time he first made man and he made this world that man should live here and God hasn't changed his plan yet. He is still desirous that we would. The Bible tells us in no uncertain terms that there's going to be calamity. We're entering into it. I talked not too long ago, or not talked, I read too long, not too long ago about an individual that did some archaeological studies, and he says we're now living uh, closer to the coming of the Lord than we realize because Jesus was born not when they said he was, but in B.C. 7. That be the case, which would throw us up at 1987. And the signs of time, we look at the world, there's no peace anywhere you look. There's no peace in the world. There's no peace in our nation. There's no peace in our state. There's no peace in our city. And there's no peace in the lives of individuals. Something has to give. Something has to happen. And all of this is creating a time for the Lord Jesus Christ to come back again, sit up on his father David's throne, and restore the earth as it once was when he created Adam and Eve and set them there and said, all of this is yours. Hallelujah. I'm going to read you a scripture, I believe. I will point you to that, and then we'll go into it. This is found in Acts, the third chapter. It's Peter's second message, and Peter touches this. After his second message, his first message, of course, was a concern of the individual as he told him to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. For the remission of your sins, you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and talked about an individual rebirth and recreation by the hand of a mighty God. And then, of course, they were thrown in prison for their stand and Peter began to preach <coughs> all that he knew to preach and then he came to the lame man uh, sitting at the gate and a lame man was healed and then he begins to tell Israel something and oft times it's overlooked. We put a lot of emphasis on individual salvation but he begins to speak to a nation in the 19th verse and he says, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord and he shall send Jesus Christ which before was preached unto you, whom the heavens must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. So you see, we have something here that God is saying, that Jesus Christ is going to be sent to restore all things. Hallelujah. What did we lose in Adam? Not only did we lose the chance to live eternally, but we lost the paradise. We lost a beautiful place. We lost a place of, of, of labor that was meaningful. We lost a place when we could look upon the beauty of everything, when we could raise children and know that there was no death in the land. We could look upon all of these things. That's what we lost in Adam. And the heavens are receiving Jesus and will hold him until the time comes for the restitution of all of these things, and then he will come again. Right now, 
His primary object is to get the bride. That will rule with him. Out of, of you, some of you, some of us, I will say, God proposes to find overcomers in our life. And it is we with Christ, if we're an overcomer, that will first taste and know what it's like to feel the presence of a powerful God inhabiting our body that will never die again. On and on we go, but we said last time, Peter described the earth being burnt up and uh, the elements of the air being burnt, the heavens on fire in a sense. And uh, then he says, nevertheless, we according to his promise look for a new heaven and a new earth as the word from Peter wherein dwelleth righteousness. In other words, he's saying, now look, after all of this is done and God burns from this earth, sin and dross, he will store it. He'll recreate it. I believe the Bible even says there won't even have to be any rivers. Before the earth was destroyed, we find scientists will tell us this, that it used to be a huge canopy overneath and this earth was just like a hotbed. In other words, all the beauties that we see oftentimes in places that uh, are, are without winter, all of this was in the earth. And then, of course, when the earth was destroyed, this all was destroyed with it. And God Almighty is proposing to bring back something that should make the human heart shout with joy. He is proposing that even after this life, there's something far greater than we ever realized and it has never materialized yet in this life. Should Jesus come today, regardless whether you're young and old, if you don't go with him, you miss the greatest thing in this whole world, our creation. That's for young and old alike. You've missed it. You've missed it all. And a lot of us are trading just, just everything just for a few grains of pleasure in this world. We're trying to get everything we can in our life because the world is in trouble. The world, it looks like to young people, it's not going to stand very long. So what do we do? We reach out to get all the pleasures we can. Oh, let me tell you something. Get out on your knees. Get your life right with God and, and, and get on fire for God and uh, be born again by the Spirit of God and wait for the coming of Jesus. Brother or sister, you haven't saw anything yet until you see what the world has to offer you there and what God has to offer you. Revelations talks about a new heaven and a new earth. He records in chapter 5 the words he heard spoken by the redeemed from every tongue, kindred, and people, and nation saying to the Lamb, Thou hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on this earth. So you can see the earth originally designed by God to be a place for man to dwell. Never, and you can't find it, never did God create the heavens for man to dwell in. Never did God create any of the other planets out here because they cannot and will not sustain life that God did look down and he did create this earth and when he created this earth he created man and set him on here and said this is your dwelling place and God still means what he says. 
You see, we insult God when we go so far with him with a program, and then all at once we say, well, God wasn't able to bring this about, so he changes it and starts someplace else. From Genesis to Revelations, you'll find one finely woven thread right in through there, and it all ties together. God's divine purpose from Genesis to Revelation has never varied from either side. God has always had a purpose of man's redemption in mind to set him on his earth and for him to live in tranquility. Hallelujah. He didn't just say this earth can't be made fit anymore. What kind of a God am I serving? One swipe of his hand, he can clean it and make it right. So you see, if he created it for me to live in, then bless your soul, I'm going to do my best to live in that. And then it begins to make sense to me. Men and women saved by the grace of God. Thank God on that day can even get a closer relationship with God than Adam and Eve had before sin. Adam and Eve had a close relationship. God himself is going to set up a dwelling place of man on the earth, having cleansed it from all sins. Now, if we stand and view this from uh, past eternity and then look to the future, about all we can see in our short span of life, as we look upon this earth is the sorrowful history of this world. Books uh, written by the hand of man and penned by the hand of man showing what has happened in this world and this earth has only been chaos and calamity. Tales of inconceivable misery, even and woe. Heartaches and privation has been everywhere. The cruelty and despair marks the history of all mankind. And we look at it and say, oh God, would we want to live in a world like this? No, we wouldn't. That's what it's all about. That's just one brief interlude of what this world is doing and the way it is now. One small ripple, in a sense, in the unrushing stream of an eternal, untainted glory and power of God that he seeks to excel within us. We ought to praise his holy name tonight for the glory and for the benefits. So I'll show you how they go together. Genesis begins with a couple created by God in a world without sin. Think for a minute, if you will, what kind of a world that, that must have been. Imagine, if you will, a world that no sin has entered in. You have no woes, you have no pain, you have no calamity. Everything is beautiful. The world, the earth hasn't been cursed yet either. There are no thorns and thistles, no briars. Nothing is going haywire in a sense. Everything is functioning as it ought to. Think for a minute the type of world that, that would be. In other words, think for a minute when you can get alone with God and when you can get uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit and you feel the peace and security of God's loving arms about you and you feel like nothing in this world could harm you. That's just a little sample of what a world would be without sin. And Genesis began this way. And of course, Adam and Eve being tempted lost it for us. And now if we look at that, what have we got? Lost humanity. Striving to live for 70 years. Clawing his living any way he can, in a sense. Working and slaving. Trying to stretch a dollar. <laughs> trying to make ends meet. He gets more money, he spends more money. All of these things. Here man is in 
in, in, a, in a, a damned uh, a creation, so to speak. And uh, what a pitiful end to a story that would be. That Genesis only starts it. All throughout the Bible, there's a finger of God pointed to this one and pointed to that one and pointed to another one until finally, at the end of the book, Revelation ends with a people that's been reborn. Hallelujah. By the blood of the Lamb, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it, it looks them and pictures them as they enter into the gates of a new and an eternal city. Thank God it's set apart and there's no war anymore. Peace and serenity is there. And creation, sins banished, is gone. Hallelujah. Wouldn't it be good to wake up in the morning and not have a devil there to sit on your shoulder? Wouldn't it be good to wake up in the morning and look and see the brightness of a day and know that you can go through that day doing whatever you're supposed to do and never be tempted by the enemy? Brother, that's heaven regardless of what man says. That's heaven to me, and that's what I want. I can see beauty in this world. It's tainted by sin. I can see despair in this world. I know that it's there. And I can also see something that God has placed here and he never had any intentions of giving to the devil. For all the time, he's found a place for his people. Right here on this earth, born to the Spirit of God, worshiping and praising God, doing the will of God. Sin's been banished. And then if you'll notice, Genesis begins with God visiting Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He came to commune with them. You know, there's something that struck me when I read that and I went back and I looked. And the thing that struck me was this. God used to come to Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And the Bible says he talked with them and communed with them. And then I looked after that, and I saw God talking to them after they had sinned. And then the Spirit whispered to me and said, Communion is different than conversation. Amen, Brother Hostel. And a lot of us, if we're not careful, a lot of us had only carried on a conversation with God. A lot of us, even in our fallen nature, has never really known what secret communion with God really is. I believe Adam and Eve were sharing the mysteries of the eternal power of God when God walked in the cool of the day before they sinned. And that didn't shut God away from talking to them. He still had conversation with them. And that communion was broken. And that communion stays broken until we, by the power of God, are born again. And then there is the ability, not the command, but there is the ability for mankind, even in his fallen nature, because of the spirit that is within him, there is the ability to enter in with sweet communion with God, to know the hidden mysteries of the Holy Spirit of God, and to ask him to show us the beauties of all of these things. You see, mankind is living Holy Ghost filled especially far beneath their privileges. Oftentimes we only talk to God as if that's all that we can do is carry on a conversation when actually the path has been cleared and the way has been opened and we really have access into the depth of God. In communion, even far greater 
I believe on that day. I know it will be that day. And we do have as much and could have as much communion with God as Adam and Eve had before they sinned through the Spirit of God. I'd like to just some way write that in indelible ink on your mind that conversation with God is not communion with God. That you can talk with God and correspond with God and ask questions with God and hear what God has to say in answer to your fleeting human questions and your innate uh, abilities that cry out for God's touch. And that is vastly different than just getting before God on your knees in your closet and sharing the secrets of generations past and the generations future. I would like to see a church that would commune with God every day and find out what God wants us to know about Him. Amen. I feel like most of us just been on speaking terms with Him and just talked to Him. And I doubt seriously for very many of us have really known what true communion really is. Did you know that this is where revelations come from? Did you know this is where mysteries Hidden phrases is revealed as when man is communing with God. Hallelujah. And we find that Revelations ends with God establishing a permanent dwelling in the midst of his redeemed people with communion forever. And don't you get me wrong. I personally do not believe that the minute we enter into the kingdom, and the minute we become, in a sense, rulers, and in the minute we enter into the restored Garden of Eden, I do not believe it's all over. I believe that we will be ever learning, ever rejoicing, ever knowing what God is and who He is. He'll be ever revealing Himself to us. And after generations have passed, we still won't know all about God that we there is to know. You know, when I looked at that, and I thought, even in my restored body, that is not subject to death. And I looked at that and I thought, e -e -e here I am, carnal and fleshly, and, and how little I know. And then I thought, well, when I enter in, how much I'm going to know. And then you compare that spiritual body and that spiritual mind with what I have now. And then there's still things about God when I'm idiot that I don't know. It staggers my imagination and lets me know that the kind of glory of God is even greater than I ever thought it was. Don't shout, preachers. Praise God, you can say amen once in a while. It'll be good. Praise the Lord. Genesis begins with no tears ever falling. No tears ever falling. No pain or death has there ever been known there. Hallelujah. Think about it. Think about it. Where else would you want to be? What else could you want? Huh? And to be here, and the Bible says in Revelations ends it that way. Revelations ends it with us entering into the restored Garden of Eden. What else would you want? The beauty of God's kingdom? 
Son, Jesus Christ, ruling whom we look upon, live and reign with him a thousand years and see him in his bodily form, while sin is being forever banished from the face of the earth, creation is ever feeling the liberty of a mighty God, his overcomers are ever crying aloud to the lost and dying nations that the king is on his holy hill. Hallelujah. You talk about a missionary effort, brother, it'll never be superseded by that. Not being able to die again, being able to carry this program to individuals that entered into the flesh and let them know about the glory of God. And for a thousand years we'll do this and it'll seem but a day until finally God will have wiped everything out. There'll be nothing there but holiness and righteousness and we don't need his veil anymore. We can look upon him, a mighty God, and still live. Hallelujah. That's what's in store for God's holy people. Brother, we ought to shout over that. We ought to redouble our efforts to live as Christians. And we ought to say, I want part of that and nothing else will do. Young and old alike. Hallelujah. The restored kingdom. Hallelujah, I like that. Has been prepared from the foundation of the world. The entire Bible, if you read it, is an account of the bridge built between God himself, just to span the abysses, the abysses between God and the restored Eden. Hallelujah. In order to span that gulf, you see what it's going to take? Adam sinned. God cursed the earth and he cursed man. Communion was broken. That is the communion that Adam and Eve really knew was broken. We've never known it, really, I don't believe. I've asked myself, I thought, I knew about the communion with God. I thought at times that I had really, really communed with God until he spoke that into my heart. And then I knew that I had missed something, that I had never really, really known how really to, to, to get down and commune with him and let him reveal to me the secrets of his holiness. And let me know something about his divine plan. Communion has been broken. The world ha has been placed with a curse upon it. And did God say, all right, devil, you won that round. I'll just abandon this plan. I'll abandon this people, which is a natural people. <laughs> and I'll abandon all of this. And I'll start again. And I'll have me a spiritual people. And I'll make a place up in heaven for them. You're not going to find that in the Bible. God never at one time, when the enemy of the serpent came in and, uh, and deluded Eve, and Eve she gave to Adam, and he did eat, in other words, transgressed so and get man back into communion with him, God clothed himself in human flesh, entered into this dark world so he could feel and know the horrors that was in it that sin created. How else could a holy God know how I felt in sin? How else could a God of light know how I felt in the darkness? How else could a God of peace know how I felt in despair and trouble other than he himself taking a bodily form came down and was patient after a man like us, me, and endured the cross and the shame and suffered and died and rose again, settled on the right hand of God until the time that he would be sent for the restoration of all things. 
Hallelujah. Because of his love for his people, he loved us. The mighty God identified himself with us. Hallelujah. And I think in this day and hour we're living in, we need to realize that he became one of us. He became one of us. Somebody says, oh, he, he, he didn't sin because he was God. Friend, he was man too. He was human. How else? How else could he know how you felt? How else could he feel the pains until he become one like you? suffered like one of us and even more and not without sin died just like one of us died and ah then the time comes hallelujah his unity with man begins to break and he rose from the dead ascended into the heavens that he might through the work of the Holy Spirit lift us from the filth and sin and degradation and is covering this earth and cleanse it and bring humanity into the restored Garden of Eden where there's peace and happiness and loving kindness of God throughout the ages of eternity. Such love, I, I, don't, I don't understand it. It's beyond my comprehension. And I can only sit and wonder and adore him and try my best to believe him. Because when you talk about love like that, I don't know anything about it. And what a prospect. There's no wonder that the true church of God has wrapped itself in the promise that Jesus made, I'll come again and receive you unto myself has the blessed hope, the only hope that we have in this lost and dying world. There is no hope in Jim Joneses and Moody's. There, there is no hope in the things that's springing up. There is no hope in man. I can't give you any hope. You can stand and see me. And if it, you were a mind to worship me, and I could take you no place, and I can point you to a God in heaven that desires to and will, if you will so bow your knee to him. He's the only hope for the young. He's the only hope for the old. Somebody asked a question one time, well, how will we be? What will we be? Well, the Bible kind of leaves you guessing on that one. But if I was just going to give you my opinion, man reaches a certain time in his life of his strength and middle capacity comes to a peak, and then he starts going downhill. I believe that God will bring every one of us to that one place. Thank God, and even children that are born to grow to that one place. And that's where they'll stop. I don't believe there'll be any weakness there. I don't believe that there'll be any sorrow there. I don't believe that my head will be gray there and half bald. I believe God will take me to the apex of what my life was. And I'll glorify God. Praise the Lord. Even your brother Jew and brother Larry from here, I believe. If they ever had any to start with. Praise the Lord. From the time they started going bald... <laughs> Whenever that was. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I'll come again, he says. I'll come again. 
But in spite of this, and stay with me, a real Christian refuses and must continue to refuse just merely a kingdom of grace which God holds, just barely holds on in the midst of a rebellious world. This seems to be what the church is supporting now. But to the true child of God, to the individual that's searching for something, to him, to any of us, nothing short of total abolition of sin, total destruction, total restoration of all things, how we lost in Adam. I don't believe the human soul will ever be satisfied until it can walk in and see the garden just like it was before it was cursed in the day of Adam. I don't believe that the human soul will cease to cry until those things have come into effect and rightly so because God placed that in there and man should never be satisfied. Christians should never be satisfied until they've been entering to the kingdom of Almighty God and see all these things taking place. You can be satisfied with the narrowness of your experience if you want to. You can float through life with heaven meaningless to you if you want to. And my life is too short. And I can't find too much to satisfy me in this life. Only Jesus Christ. And if I should miss out on the eternities of a restored kingdom of God, I don't know I would have missed it all. This is a training ground. That's all it is. And God is trying to train you and get you ready young and old alike, to really show you what his love is about. God's love and his hand was extended by mercy when he came and forgave you and uh, caused you to be born in his kingdom. But brother, that's, that's just a little of God's love. Wait till you see its grand finale. Wait till you see the final consummation. Thank God. Our future, I'll get to this, our future don't consist in holding a hostile world at bay with guns in a jungle paradise called Jamestown. That's not paradise. And our future don't consist of that. That true people of God will never think about retreating from a world in order to form their own isolated society. They know full well that they have been placed in this earth as a witness for Almighty God concerning him, his love, and his vast views of his kingdom. But I can understand why inside humanity, inside uh, this individual, has become godlike, that we would desire it. That's why we would pray even so, come Lord Jesus, because we're tired of sin, we're weary of degradation. And it so torments us when we have to live in it, and around it, and it drags us down. But we live in a world, a dark world. And we're here for a purpose. Just a few weary days now, but we're here as representatives or as an ambassador from a totally different kingdom and what this world can offer us. And while we seemingly as sheep among wolves, we know that God, according to his word, will intervene shortly in the affairs of this world and the kingdoms that rise up and he'll destroy them no matter how powerful they are and set up his own kingdom right here on this earth with Jerusalem being the capital and he'll rule and reign from there. We know this. While we have a gospel message to preach to somebody, we know this. But the real people of God, 
the real true saints of God. And I think this is a challenge to all of us. And as these words jumped out to me, I thought, oh God, let it be. We are going to have to take our stand besides the faithful in Hebrews 11. And with them, I said, and with them who had these things from God, who had the presence of God in their life, that with them they looked for a city that had foundations whose builder and maker was God. We'll have to take our stand. They looked for a better country, a country that was heavenly in its rulership and heavenly in its obedience. Like them, we've got to see the promises afar off. Abraham saw them afar off. Sometimes our vision is dim because we've lived in this old body for so long. Our vision is dim to what it's going to be. And Abraham saw the promises afar off and was persuaded of them as he embraced them and confessed that he was pilgrim and a stranger in this present world system. He knew something far better. He'd been introduced to something far better than this. And you know the thing that strikes me is this hope that they had wasn't just a vague superstition. Just something somebody passed down to them. To such men as Noah. He staked everything he had on the sure promises of God. Everything he had he put in the fact that God said, yet 120 days and I'll destroy this world by water and it had never rained Noah could have looked on the intellectual side like we and say well I would be a fool to do something like that what I'll do is I'll wait till it rains it starts raining and then I'll build the ark and that's just exactly the idea that some of us have got right now as entrance into the kingdom of God. I'll wait until the tribulation starts and then I'll run in. I got news for you, buddy. You're not going to do it that way. You're not going to get into it that way. Had Noah staked his reputation and his sanity on a word from God. I think tonight the church stops short. And for that reason, God's hand is limited. We are too worried about what people think and not worried enough about what God thinks. If we happen to be a little bit different and the town starts climbing on us, first thing you know is murmuring complaints and all of this and say, oh, I don't think we ought to have to do that. I don't know about a lot of things. I don't know God's full demands. But there's one thing that's nailed down in this preacher's heart, and that's the fact that I need all the world out of it and all the God in it that I can get. And then I'm just barely going to make it. And so are you. There is a scripture that says, if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner. There is a difference. 
the ungodly, and the sinner, where shall they appear? Okay? My Lord, Abraham, in obedience to God's command, left his home to follow God's leading in a strange land. God didn't tell him what was out there so much. And God did let him know he'd be there. You see, we got something on Abraham. Abraham didn't know how far he's going to have to journey. He didn't know where he's going to have to go. In fact, he didn't even place uh, the preeminence on these things of this world. He looked for a city that had foundations whose builder and maker was God. And wherever he had to travel, it was going to be worth it to inherit God's kingdom. Moses turned his back on the grandeur and splendor of the world's mightiest empire in order to suffer affliction with his people. You see, that wasn't just vague superstition. Something that had been passed on from mom and dad. That was a sure grip on God. A pure sellout with nothing else left but desiring to do God's will. To David and Samuel and Gideon and all the other faithful that cited in Hebrews chapter 11. A blessed hope. Hallelujah. We've got to hold on to that. Even I, I believe even more than they held on to it. They endured. How did they endure? Have you ever wondered? They endured so much. They was, they was un, under, under afflictions. They had a lot of physical torment. We have a lot of mental torment. But they endured. Had you ever wondered how they endured? And yet the Bible spells it out for us. They endured as seeing him who was invisible. How did they do that? Through the Spirit of God and through the communion of the Holy Spirit. They endured these afflictions because they could see something else on the other side and the world was blinded too. Whether the only sense we have enduring is not what we see with the eyes in this world, but what we see with a spiritual eye in a world to come that's going to envelop us. And we need to get ready, don't you think? We need to lay aside all these little idiocracies and idiosyncrasies that bind us and cause us to be weak. The promise of God every day took on more reality and what they daily saw and heard. If you're going to base your spiritual life on what you see and hear, you're going to fall. But brother, there's something, sister, there's some place we can go past the noise of this world and past the hue and cry of it and past the grand of it. There's a place in secret we can find with God that will bring us into sweet communion with Him and let us know things and speak to us from the heart. I realize for a non-Christian, somebody that didn't know God, a world without sin, a world where there's peace and joy and harmony, probably be more than the natural mind can actually give credibility to. And sometimes it even staggers the mind and imagination of some half-baked Christians, amen, who's never really fully known what it's like to believe God. Hallelujah, I realize that sometimes when you talk about it when I'm in human flesh, when I'm bogged down with the things that bother me in this world, there's something inside that says it'll never be. There's no such thing it can't ever be. And that comes on me, and I'm sure it comes on you. And at the same time, that flesh cries that out. There's something inside that says, oh, yes, 
Not only is it can be, it will be, and it is happening now. It must never be with a true believer, never, to deny this hope. I need to get on, and you need to stay with me. You that want to go to sleep, why don't you go home so you can really sleep right? Amen. I hate to see you just nodding in the seats here. Hallelujah. To deny this hope is to deny the full consummation, the fullness of God's redemptive plan. And without this hope, without this hope of a restored world, regardless of what your Christian upbringing tells you, without this hope, a Christian has no hope. You don't have any. And that's why you see so many in and out. It's because they've never progressed past what they can feel and see and hear right now. They've never gotten past that. They've placed their religion and salvation on what they can feel, on what just happens today. They're grasping after something that's got to be today. If it's not today, it'll never be. And that's not the fi final thing. If in this life only, Paul says, we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable. And because of this, the true believer believe, uh, lives in two worlds at the same time. Hallelujah. Yes, you do. You live in this world, it's sinful now. And then the good part about it is you live in the world of the soon coming kingdom of God. You have an earnest of this. The only thing that keeps you sane in this sinful world. The only thing that gives you any peace, can establish any joy, is that portion of the kingdom God has placed within you where the love and power of God stands. Because of this dual existence, we're able with the eyes of faith to look beyond this present world. Beyond this present world. Where are we going, saints? What if all we had was what the Ayatollah presents us, Rhodesia presents us, Russia's buildup in Afghanistan. And every place you look, there's problems. If this is all we had, if this is all there was, but our hope is beyond that. We see further than that. We must see further than that. And yet, even with our insights that we have given by the Spirit, been sharpened by the Spirit, and can see some of the things that God has for us. We've been exiled from our, what I would say, our rightful home for so long that we're just able to perceive and get only glimpses of its glories and delights. And I was studying God's Word, and I, I looked at it in his word just gives fleeting, you know, jumps in, then jumps out, just enough to kind of tantalize you and make you want it. They, they just those descriptions, and that's apparently just about all we can comprehend till we actually experience. The Apostle Paul was caught up one time into the third heaven, and then he said, in the paradise, which was nothing more than a preview that God let him preview the glorious kingdom of heaven. It, it was set up. And Paul said, I heard words that, 
that it's not lawful. In other words, I can't even describe them. I don't have the word to tell you what I saw. I don't even know whether I was in the body or out of the body. And I saw such beauty and such peace and such serenity. And I don't have the words to describe it. It's not lawful for me to talk about it. No finite mind can comprehend the glory and the beauty of the paradise of God. We can get a glimpse. We can try to look at it and wonder. A world with beauty here and there and someplace else. And I look out in the world and I see the traces of beauty that's here. And I try to visualize it and I can only get uh, sketches and the things I can feel through them. And they excite me. And they tease me. <laughs> and tantalize me. And I, 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 I want us tonight, you'll bear with me. I'm, I'm going to try my best to get this out of the way. But if you'll bear with me, I want us tonight to look at some of them that's, that's been left. Let's just look at some of the things that God has dropped in there concerning uh, these things. Revelations 14, 17, and you just mark it down, paints a picture of a heavenly shepherd. That has to be Jesus Christ leading his ransom flock to fountains of living waters. He says, they shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. Now he just steps in there, and this is what he says. In a world filled with hunger and starvation, Revelations has the audacity to say that in that world, nobody's going to be hungry. In a world sometimes where man is blistered by the ever heat of the sun, God's going to handle all of that. And there's not going to be any of that type of heat anymore. The sun's not going to light on them that strong anymore. I mean, that's just, just a, a small picture of a world without hunger. A world without children starving. A world without your TV showing the little bloated bellies and, and the dying that we see in Cambodia. A world without that, they'll hunger no more and they won't thirst anymore. That's just one little thing that God says, I'm going to lead you into. I'm going to take care of this stuff that's in this world. I'm going to handle it. And we get pictures of the scenes of unsurpassed beauty, the loveliness of the people of God. As they were so long, pilgrims and strangers, wonders on this earth. As we read and we can just follow them or us, so to speak, as we see them finding their long-sought home, permanent home. There'll never be uprooted anymore. There'll be no separation there anymore. Saints of God that has wondered had no special dwelling place here, really had no life here in a sense. Had their life had been alienated by the world, by the Spirit. And finally, the Bible pictures them as coming into their permanent home with Christ with open arms, welcoming them in, and said, you're going to live here forever and never be moved. A fleeting glimpse, a small glimpse, and yet enough to tantalize you and make you want to go in there because you're weary and you're tired and your pilgrims are strangers. You'd like to find a home someplace and you can feel the power of God around you. I know that there's no sin there. We kept, catch glimpses and hear some echoes of such things as employment that is meaningful. You know, God placed Adam in the, in the garden and told him to dress it. Real light employment and, and, and wonderful employment as he could see it. 
meant something to him. Wasn't drudgery. Wasn't working for somebody else. He was working for the beauty of the kingdom. Hallelujah. Going to work then. Whatever you might do. I don't know what's going to be there. But whatever you might do will not be drudgery then. It'll have a meaning to it. And you find them building houses. And the Bible says there won't one build and another inhabit. Oh, no, you won't have to pay unreasonable rent. Your landlord won't have to come and say, uh, you're leaving. The bank won't foreclose on your mortgage. All of this will be taken care of you. Even hear them talking about planting gardens. Everybody that likes to garden, and you wonder, what am I going to do? I just love to garden. Well, you'll get to garden, according to the Word of God. Enjoying the work of our own hands. Hallelujah. Enjoying the work of our own hands. Friend, this is heaven. Whether you want to believe it or not, this is heaven. All of these that we talked about without sorrow and without disappointment and without the frustrations that accompany us here in this life. We see wolves and lambs laying together. We see leopards and goats as they play in peaceful harmony. We see thorns and briars give way to useful plants and decorative plants. Hallelujah. We see pain and hurting and a desire to triumph and to destroy. They be unknown there in that kingdom. Hallelujah. We see lions. We don't see any flesh-eating animals anymore. We see them all vegetarians again. In other words, as the Bible says, in this holy mountain nothing shall hurt or shall destroy. Peace and serenity has come back again. Animals didn't used to eat each other, destroy each other, or hunt each other. They were placed here by God and they got along in harmony. The Bible says a child will put his hand in, in what's the name of that, uh, hole, and, uh, and whatever, he pull it out, and nothing's going to hurt him. In other words, your child's going to be safe wherever it goes, from wherever it walks, has nothing going to hurt it, nothing going to destroy it, no pain, no woe, no misery, no despair, no death, no dying. All of this has been laid aside by the hand of God. It's just a kind of glory. Appeared one more time upon the whole earth and encased it and moved mankind into his final destination, the Garden of Eden. This is heaven, friends. And if you enjoy this earth, how much more are you going to enjoy that? Hallelujah. My Lord, dear God, you could read some of those. Would you like to read them? Let me just spot you a little bit in Isaiah. Turn to Isaiah. 11 and 6, I believe it is. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lay down with the kid, and the calf of the young lion and the fattening, fattling together, and a little child shall lead them, and the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the ox shall eat straw, or the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and the suckling child shall play in, on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah 32 and 18. See, these are just little things that he drops in every once in a while, kind of whets your appetite. 
And my people shall dwell in peaceful habitation and in sure dwellings and in quiet resting places. Isaiah 55 and 13. 55 and 13. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, to the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. It shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Isaiah 60 and 18. Violence shall no more be heard in the land, wasting nor destruction within thy borders. Thou shalt call thy walls salvation, and thy gates praise. The sun shall be no more light by day, neither by brightness shall the moon give light unto thee. The Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God to glory, thy glory. Thy sun and thy, thy sun shall no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw itself. For the Lord shall be thy everlasting light, and the days of thy morning shall be ended. Thy people shall be all be righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. The branch of my planting is the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. Little one shall become a thousand. Small one a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in his time. Isaiah 65, 21 and 22. Let's read from 17. By the whole are created new heaven and new earth. Former shall not be remembered, neither shall come to mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing, and her people a joy. You can see anything but that over there. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people, and the voice of weeping shall no more be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more fence an infant of days, nor an old man that has not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of the tree are the days of my people, mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth their trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord, and their offsprings with them. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. While they are speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw.